As firefighters, nurses, and emergency medical professionals, we can lead extremely stressful lives. I know one of my favorite things to do to clear my head is to get lost on a trail somewhere, but I always bring the right fuel to get to the top, and that's where True Wild comes in. True Wild is all natural and includes nothing but high-quality, handcrafted ingredients to help optimize your performance during any challenge in the great outdoors or in the gym. With amazing products to help you enhance your energy, like motion, or recover your sore joints with their signature turmeric and curcumin blend, True Wild helps elevate my athletic performance. Regardless of what kind of athlete you are, they have the product for you. Yoga? Get your mind right with their Adaptogen blend. Endurance athlete, get a delicious sip of their watermelon lemonade hydration complex. Use the promo code 15WILDWALL for 15% off. That's 15WILDWALL at TrueWild.com. Stay wild. No one knows better than me how monotonous and boring recertifying your BLS and ACLs can be, but not with Surefire CPR. They utilize a team of passionate instructors with real-world experience who are currently working in the field. No more outdated retirees trying to tell you about how they did in the 1980s or soccer moms who just got their BLS card last week. Surefire CPR offers a wide range of classes on days, nights, and weekends to fit your busy schedule. You'll get your recertification and card in the same day. Get your BLS research, learn about rhythms in an EKG class, get your LA fire card, or take pediatric advanced life support. They have four separate offices spreading throughout Orange, LA, and Riverside counties and offer hundreds of classes per month. Register for a class today at surefirecpr.com today and use promo code HTW10 for 10% off now. That's HTW10 for 10% off at surefirecpr.com. Another episode, new environment, kind of weird. Is it nerve-wracking now that you have the house that you're like, shit, if yeah. anything happens at work or oh, yeah. is that the stress on now? There's that. There's stress. It's like nothing's really furnished or it just mm-hmm. it feels, it doesn't feel like homely yet. Gotcha. Yeah. And then mortgage payment is going to be due in July. So yeah. <laughs> it's already coming. Yep. It's, it's already, it's already a few weeks out, so. It's cool, but I, yeah, yeah, I can see how that'd be a little daunting initially. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for visiting. We're recording here. There might be an echo. We're in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it's bigger than mine. Yeah. Talk about downers today. We're gonna be, yep. So Part uh, two. Got into our stimulants last episode. Now we're getting into our downers. Yeah, man. It's been a, a busy week. I worked a 96 a, last week and then... A 96? A 72 this week. Gosh. The 96 was with all EMTs. So what? it was like, it was, I only had EMT partners except for the last day. Oh. So it was a lot of paperwork. I was, it was a lot of stress. But yeah, it was, uh, we got some pretty decent calls. Oh, I'll, I'll tell one about a downer patient. And that was pretty good. But yeah, it was like, so I think you talked about it last episode. But like the, uh, you talked about a patient that just seemed a little more anxious than typical stimulant. And then he ended up coding. What, the the vagina meth lady? No, no. What? Which I, one? There was another patient where you're just like, uh, it seemed like an anxiety attack. They had, I think they had some meth oh, use yeah, or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. But they just were like more fidgety, more mm-hmm. nervous, and they ended up having a STEMI. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about you the other night because we had this patient, and he was just complaining like general weakness, and I guess he had a cough for a couple days and some shortness of breath for a couple days. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we're going to have to, this is like a person of interest in our county. So we had to bring him in for COVID 
And we initially like put them on capnography, put them on SpO2, and they were a little low, so we gave them some um, oxygen. And it was just like a nasal cannula. And he improved. Like all his stuff improved, but he was still sitting there like really anxious, like moving around a lot, you yeah, know, clutching yeah. the handrails. And like, and he, he was Spanish speaking only, so we couldn't really talk about what was going on. He had some, uh, the initial paramedic on scene, so he was like, oh, the lungs are all clear. I was like, ah. it was one of those guys. I'm like, okay, I'm going to double check the work here. <laughs> and sure as shit, just He's a coarse bronchi yeah, yeah. and all lows with some wheezing. I'm like, you fuck. He's a POI. How could it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I give a nebulized treatment, but still he's just sitting there like really anxious. Mm-hmm. Right. So we finally get him to the COVID area and we do pass over. I'm like, hey, you know, we have to bring him in as a COVID, but he's, his blood pressure is insanely high. Um, he wasn't febrile. So like maybe it's a new onset of CHF, just so you guys know. Cause it was like 236 over 112 or something for the BP. And uh, so I give Passover, everything's fine. But I went back to the hospital later and the nurse was like, that that fucking patient coded like 20 minutes later. I guess oh. the, I don't know, is it like an LVN or something went in to go start an IV? Yeah. And she was sitting there talking, like starting the IV, looked up and just saw asystole and I guess he like had coded. They were they got him back, but still I was like, <laughs> I, 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 while I was in the back of the ambulance and he was sitting there all fidgety. I'm like, I want this guy out of my ambulance. There's something about this guy <laughs> who I'm like, is he going to fucking die? Yeah, yeah. And I, there's like, I can't find anything that would warrant me intervening on. So I'm like, oh, like I can't justify putting him on CPAP because yeah. everything is looking good other than, you know, his slight anxiety and kind of fidgetiness. But, oh, I was like, I want this guy out of my ambulance. I almost like to- I told my partner to upgrade just to like to get him there faster and out of my hands. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Something's off about this this call. Do you know what his outcome was? Um, no, they didn't tell me other than they he coded and then they got him back. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, so I was like, ugh. You think it was COVID? That sounds like one of those, like... One, yeah, right? And he also, he went to this dialysis center where we've gotten a shitload of positive COVID patients from. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. it's like a cesspool of our city is like... A bunch of our patients who have gotten COVID have all come from this one it's dialysis. All community center. acquired. Uh-huh, yeah, even though like they kind of they kind of half-ass check your temp before you go in, but I think that's all yeah the one successful. the one they just aim at your forehead. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate that one. Yeah, they also if you're like standing outside they get read high. Yeah, which is annoying. So yeah. like we've had several patients like because when we initially go up to them we have to do our COVID rule out questions. Have you had any fever, cough, respiratory distress, any contact with somebody mm-hmm. who's tested positive for COVID? And then we check their temp. So if, if it comes out of them having a temp, nobody else will go in except for the, the primary paramedic and one partner. Yeah. So it's fucking annoying when they're like sitting outside or they were sitting, like, uh, sitting on their porch or something waiting for us. And it's not COVID related at all. And once we put them in the back of the ambulance and put them in the AC, their temperature goes down because they're just out of the sun, yeah, yeah. especially in the desert. It's like goes back to normal, but like some captains are like, oh, 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 oh God, like everybody needs to chill out. Yeah. yeah. It's annoying. Uh, I'm so, so ready for this to be over. I can't wait, but they finally kind of downgraded our amount of PPE we have to wear. So we still have to wear our goggles and our mask, but we don't have to wear a brush jacket on every call. Um, I think that's a minimum. It's so hot in that brush jacket. And how hot is it out there right now? So, it was nice this week, and it was only like 98, 99, 100. Mm-hmm. But like uh, this upcoming week, it's going to be 109, 111. Ooh. 
Yeah. And like running any call with that jacket on, you're just, you're just immediately pouring sweat for no reason. Like, it sucks. Especially with the goggles and the mask and, uh, dude, you're just pouring. Damn. So thank God that's over. So I can actually wear a t-shirt on calls now, but you know, even still, like I, I'm over the mass and all the insane the precautions. Mask, yeah. So that was I, I. I thought about you on that call, especially based on our, after that stimulant episode. But like, I had a, a pretty good full arrest. This guy was out walking his dog. Okay. Poor dogs were nowhere to be found because he just fro- he ate it. Oh. And just coated. So they found him. He hadn't been seen for like 30 minutes. They found him face down in a gutter with like water in it. So like. Dead we now. get there and PD's doing compressions. We have an audience, of course. There's like five neighbors sitting outside, just sitting there. They're sitting on like a brick wall, watching, just like oh. like it's entertainment. It was so weird. I'm like, can you guys just fuck off, please? Yeah, yeah. Like, can the cops not just like disperse them or something? So we we had like worked up this guy. He was he was ace to the whole time, but I like got to start IO and it it was I was working overtime too, so I wasn't with my normal crew where I could like. And it, just the scenario too, like we usually have a pretty set, you know, whoever's running the code is going to go over the, put the monitor over the left shoulder so everybody can see mm-hmm. uh, whoever's doing airway can check their ventilation rate and whoever's doing compressions and see how they're doing with the C through CPR stuff mm-hmm. and you kind of just do it that way. But we couldn't because all the water and all the stuff and just the ground was kind of shitty. So it kind of just threw a little bit of a wrench in our gears, but we were able to get everything done. We'd pushed our epi and sodium bicarbon we did work them up for 20 and end up calling it on scene oh dang because there's like besides the cops who got there like a minute before us there's yeah. no blast center cpr there's no aed and unknown downtime kind of thing so you had a lot of cardiac history just kind of seemed like dang just for the walk <clears throat> damn that's crazy right but we got to use the auto pulse and it was actually working pretty oh, well nice. and so we got to do some stuff that was fun I don't know if fun's the right word. <laughs> it was interesting. Skills. Uh, yeah, yeah. You got to use some High skills. skills yeah, do some IO. Yeah. I hadn't done the IO in a little while, so it was it was a how do you like the autopulse? Good we, practice. When it works, it works really well. Are you talking about like battery life or what do you mean? Not battery works? life, but like uh sometimes you'll pull the patient onto it the the board and it, it, you'll put their head where it says to put the head, mm-hmm. but it'll keep telling you reposition patient, reposition patient, and it won't start until it's positioned right. Interesting. So uh, we kind of have this like technique we practice and how we're going to implement it and stuff. So once the second engine gets on, their crew gets the uh, the auto pulse, brings it over. We, we set it up at the head, and then the person kind of um, straddles the stands and straddles them, mm-hmm. and they grab their arms, and another person grabs their head. They all pull them forward, and we slide in the board. And we have the there's a tarp underneath the auto pulse that's folded a certain way. So like once it were he's on, you just yank it down and encapsulates them and. It's, Works oh. out pretty well. Um, is like the tarp affixed to that board? No, no. There are some set it up that, that are, way. but we set it up that oh, okay. way. Yeah. And uh, you know, if they slide on nice and easy, it's it, it works super well. Like you pull it up, hit the start, and it just goes down and starts compressing. But sometimes it'll just be like reposition, reposition. You're like fucking trying to move this a dead person around, and you're trying to like yeah. keep compressions going because you don't want to stop. It, it's a real pain in the ass sometimes, but when it works, it works super well. Nice. Um. Uh, we just got the Lucas device. I got, I got trained on it. So. Oh, really? Yeah. How, how do you like it? Uh, I mean, it was just training, so it was on a mannequin, but I don't think that reposition part... It's going to be a problem. Yeah, because you... you can reposition the tool rather You than position the, the piston yourself. Yeah. Uh, they they say it's like... Uh, their acronym was like ABCs or something, so activate, board, 
and then I forget what see clamps or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. But Oh, is that how it works? Like you put them on a like a backboard and clamps onto that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. But it's just it's more like a cradle. So it only it's only as wide as those like ones you find at a crash cart or a sniff. It's only just big enough for the torso. Oh, okay. And then there's um the sides look like like a C collar backboard, like a rigid backboard. Mm-hmm. And then there's just C clamps that go on it. So you want to put the backboard first and then have whatever person doing compressions. And then you could actually set the Lucas through the, uh, the arms. Okay. Of th- uh, the compressor. Mm-hmm. And then it locks on a C clamp and then you're supposed to activate it. You pull the piston down and then it kind of adjusts to that way. Okay. And then every, I forget what they said. Every, two to three seconds it actually the piston readjusts for like correct depth oh size and that stuff. way you're not doing like sternum to spine compressions yeah you know yeah. Oh. yeah and um yeah apparently it works they they chose it because i guess in new york for like the covid stuff they had a one you're not in the face every with every compression right you know someone's not exposed to like yeah um but they had plugged it in and apparently they had like a save it was eight hours of compression I'm like holy shit jesus yeah that's a, or that's the striker rep was saying that yeah it's accredited to that like so the batteries will go for 45 minutes but if you just plug in to an ac adapter it goes forever yeah, yeah. jesus Christ. so a lot of the hospitals like i think cedars has a lucas device we have two in the er and then yeah i think uh it got it gained notoriety because of that save in new york damn yeah, yeah they're, they're like the um who was who makes it zoll makes the, the autopulse yeah um the rep came out and she talked about like the difference in compression quality from the auto pulse and stuff. It's pretty crazy. Oh really? Yeah. Like your, your ejection fraction from good high quality compressions manually is like 30 to 40% compared to 80% ejection fraction of normal with the auto pulse. So it's almost like as good as a real heart. And I was like, Oh shit, it's pretty crazy. Damn. That's crazy. And that's why you're getting those patients. You're like, wake up. Yeah. Yeah. CPR is going on. You're like, nothing to do with that. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, what else happened? Oh, I had a good little broken arm. We had okay, so we had one night and like the full arrest, this this kid, the CPAP, um, all happened in one night. It was sucked. It was oh, like wow. we did we, we ran calls from seven PM until three thirty AM. Like four. I finally wow. got to lay down at like four AM. It was like back to back to back calls. It sucked. But uh so yeah, we had like the full rest at 10 and then this right after that, we got restocked and got all ready to go. And we got this kid, some 18 year old kid like broke his arm and just snapped it in half while skateboarding oh, geez. in the middle of the night. Yeah. What else? Oh, we had, uh, we had that anxiety guy who ended up coding. Oh yeah. And then just say, yeah, like another anxiety, but that was like a bullshit call. We ended up aiming and it was like what call after call, but yeah, it was a busy night. Had another CPAP call. So the other one that kind of leads us into tonight mm-hmm. was we had this overdose. This guy just like, I guess he walked out to his like niece and nephew and was like, uh, oh shit. And then just fell back. What? <laughs> yeah. He just, he passed out and went unconscious. Oh, and, wow. he, and, uh, they like started CPR on him. He was, he was breathing still, but they started CPR and mouth to mouth. Yeah. They, uh, the initial crew got there and gave him some Narcan and he kind of came out of it a little bit, but he was still like pretty fucking hmm. you know unresponsive and we give him a little more and he kind of his respiratory rate comes back but he's still like very groggy and he's only responsive to like painful stimulus so apparently he like the 
overdose on opiates, but then he drank, he drank a lot. So I asked him like, how much have you been, how much did you drink today? And he was like, I've been drinking for three days. I'm like, oh fuck. So like, damn unknown quantity, just duration of time apparently. But yeah, so he, when he finally came out of it, he was just like throwing up and uh, it was a, it was a big pain in the ass. But yeah, it was interesting just cause you know, so when it's just purely opiates, they pop out of it and they're able to talk to you and all that stuff. But you know, one of the things that I really kind of kept seeing that was repetitive with especially downers for some reason, mm-hmm. were like the tendency to use a bunch of different drugs together. And like, you know, there's plenty of times when I run on opiate overdoses that are easy, easily treated with Narcan. But then when you start mixing with other stuff, like a shitload of alcohol, yeah. it just adds to the, the frustration of the call. Cause there's, other things you need to worry about and that aren't going well, even after your initial treatment that kind of gets your vitals where they need to be, but not your patient's mentation and stuff. Right. It's a big old pain in the ass. Yeah. And he's kind of like a Vato. So he's like <laughs> talking shit and trying to swing at us and stuff. I was like, oh, come on, man, be cool. Uh, yeah. We're just here to help you. Yeah. Yeah. How's your week? Mine. Eh, it was all right. I don't have like any direct, patient care stories but i've heard a a couple like well we're picking up in the covid area and we're seeing a lot uh more persons under investigation and a lot of uh positive admits so i feel like the younger i'm ballparking here but maybe like late 30s and younger we're sending them home to self-isolate and then a lot of yeah the ones like 50 plus were actually admitting okay um but we're seeing a lot more suspicious chest x-rays and they all look the same they all look like like uh hazy opacities in all fields so it's like you should see just black blackness in the lung uh-huh. the silhouette you know the uh your peaked corners and the um bowed outline of like the diaphragm and like the cardiac silhouette and then the lungs should just be black mm-hmm. but you're seeing a lot of like that i mean the extra tech was telling me like you kind of see it looks like glass i was like i don't i don't know if it looks like glass but sure <laughs> like it's not black it's hazy for yeah. sure so we're seeing a lot of that and then, yeah, I mean, I've heard a couple stories, or which brings us, uh, I just want to mention like some of our future episodes. I thought it was a good idea, but. Are we doing a PSA right now? We can do a PSA. Uh, I want to tell my STEMI story though. Since oh, uh, my, my new job is not a STEMI center. I was like, yeah, what do we do? So we're supposed to call 911. Um, but it's like a, a, it was a crazy ordeal because we don't let EMS inside any with the COVID stuff. So mm-hmm. they get triaged outside and they get uh, gowned and bedded in like our little ante area from the ambulance bay and then and then inside oh okay so i guess this guy was a STEMI, and none of the local STEMI centers were able to accept him really yeah so then the hospital i work at they're like oh well let's just take it to our cath lab which is like i don't know 40 miles away in like downtown oh geez and they're like yeah we'll just make it like you know like an ift or something like that but they called 911 and then apparently since EMS can't come in, they didn't know that um, the fire department was already outside. They just dropped off a patient and then that call dropped on them and they were outside for 15 minutes waiting. Mm. And then, you know, the captain was pissed and that. And they're like, okay, well, this is what's going well, to happen. Oh, I forgot to re- rewind. That, that guy got admitted. So then he had a, he got admitted and then the admitting doctor's like, he has a STEM, he has to go back to the ER. So then he goes back to the ER and they're like, no, 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 he got admitted. So it's the admitting problem. So he went back up in the oh, elevator. Geez. So they all, did all the while, this guy's having a heart attack. They did a, like a hot potato back and forth. And then finally that, that whole IFT was set up and then, you know, a uh, local fire was pissed because they're waiting outside and yeah. they don't even know what's going on with the patient. And they're like, this was going to happen. You have to go drive 40 miles to this, whatever. And I was like, dude, there's no way they're going to do that. 
And then so, yeah, I drive forty miles. They're gonna be pissed. Yeah. So, well, I'm pretty sure that as a story I heard, they're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then they take a report and leave. And then I guess 45 minutes later, um, the accepting facility was like, hey, where's that patient? Never made it here. And then they just oh, went to the closest. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, as they transferred care, they just made base and said we're diverting because this guy has a STEMI. So they ended up going to the closest STEMI. So I guess it worked out. Yeah, but there you go. I was like, yeah, okay. That's better than. Like, no, fuck this. I'm not driving yeah. 40 miles. There's Which, no I don't know. I just thought it was astounding to me. Like, you try to set up an IFT to get like a doctor to doctor to accept, but no one was willing to accept. Hmm. So then, in the patient's best interest, the only thing that the doctors could do in like their. Sc- I don't know scope of practice, but like you know, their avenue was set up an IFT within the network. That is strange that nobody was willing to accept them, even though the fire was able to call, right? Because like, hey, we're going. So right, because now you're operating under the EMS protocols. Yeah. But I just thought it was that was a prime example of like choosing the most appropriate destination for a patient. Yeah, you know, like don't kick it BLS and non cardiac receiving, or you know what I mean. Like so that I True. think that was a good. Oh, so this person was brought in by ambulance i believe so he was biba yeah biba <laughs> i think it was biba and then something happened and the doc was like no i think this guy's actually having a stemmy and oh, then shit. they had to set that up and then but well so there was that yeesh. and then uh i don't i have brought in stemmy patients ift before though but yeah we had a different kind of world here art i guess in the no i mean county. you can we were trying to set that up Oh, I mean, no, you're right. I've done one of those IFT STEMI transports too, but... Because the non-STEMI centers are freaking out. Yeah. And I, like, there's a... One one of them, uh, not too far from where we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, Our old previous Samuels company is getting ready to take over their EMS. Anyway. Yeah. So that hospital, we get a a, a STEMI transfer, and I show up, and the person's having an inferior infarct. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yo, what what right side does 12 leads say? And they're like, what are you talking about? We only do standard 12 leads here. I'm like... Okay, let's just go. <laughs> I was like, never mind. I'll check in her out. That's a really good segue to my PSA. But and uh, yeah, and when we get in the back, I do it right side, and sure enough, there's like super big elevation on the right <laughs> side, and they've already given some nitro. I'm like, I'm kind of withholding. At the time, we could give fentanyl and and mm-hmm. more morphine for those, so I gave a little fentanyl and tried to decrease their pain. But he that that was one of those guys who was like that anxiety, that impending doom. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. Fuck, this guy's gonna code. Damn. Luckily, he didn't. But. <laughs> And that transport, it's like, it's just code three on streets. There's no like freeway mm-hmm. and it's good. What? Eight, nine miles maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't too bad. But the reaction of the nurses at the first place, like I was just some kind of fool for even asking yeah. about some other yeah. sided 12 lead. Oh, I was like, <laughs> no wonder. But so that brings me to my next point. It's like, I was thinking of a witty, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, true. So, and I think we take for granted what we pick up in EMS or at least, you know, the way I feel we were treated or brought up in the EMS system here was like, there's a pecking order mm-hmm. when it, in, in actuality it's, it's collaborative, you know, like we special EMS or medics specialize in a certain role, set of skills, yeah, yeah. set of skills and I'll go more in depth in certain, uh, what do you call it? Uh, medical emergencies than, mm-hmm. um, nurses. So, there was an issue actually i told you this one like almost a month ago but like um i remember i overheard in the break room like a nurse talking about an io start and you know we practice those on chicken bones and we did the what was the jam shady where you're like i'm bending needles they like, just trying to like 
I've done saw, this on people. Saw back and forth. I've only used the gun. I was fortunate enough to only have to ever use the gun. When I first started at our previous ambulance company, they only had the jam shetties. Oh. And I've started, I started two or three of them on patients. And it was like, just like I'm not a small guy. And yeah. I was putting all my weight twisting and jamming. And finally it pops in through their shin bone. Yeah. And like the pa- one of the patients was conscious. I was like, yeah. ugh. It was so gross. So... It's nasty. Yeah, so she she was talking about it, educating like a, a newer nurse, and it was just like she. I I understand it was like coming from like a a caring place in her heart, but I was like, dude, like maybe eighty percent of it was correct and twenty percent of it was wrong, but the twenty oh, yeah. percent was like needle size landmarks, and I was like, those are kind of important. Oh yes, I do remember yeah. you telling me about this, and that it's not like it's significant information that you're saying incorrectly. Yeah, like so. At, it, if I were to hear it, it would be in everyone's be- patient's best interest for me to be like, interview me like, oh, I you know, I really appreciate that information that you're saying, but this is actually what you sh- like. This is how it goes. Like, you, it would be like you should intervene in that conversation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But dude, it was only like my second oh, day no, no. there. As a new person, like, oh. I, I understand, but you know, it's one of those yeah. things. Like, mouth oh, shut, eyes God. open, ears yeah. open. Um, yeah. So she was saying, like, regardless of patient size, she uses the yellow needle, and I was like, dude, that's for no bariatric, yeah yeah and because like she's like bariatric oh. tibs yeah or she's like i the think humorous where you have to have like more muscle and yeah. tissue to drill through it's like she's like i think half the time it's poor needle size placement you're not getting really into the bone so i use the yellow all the time and i was like what and so i was like uh, you're gonna use a yellow on a kid or you know Bitch, like you're tripping yeah so i mean i heard that and then it was funny so i heard it another day someone had to start an io and i all i heard was you know, it's supposed to hurt when they infuse. And I was like, what are they talking about? So I don't know what needle size they use, but they think they went shin, marrow, and out the other side and was infusing into the guy's calf. Oh. And so they're like, oh, well, it's it's infusing. It's flushing well, but not drawing back. So then they like pulled it out, reinserted it or something, and then um, finally infused saline. And the guy freaking like woke up and was like screaming. And I was like, uh. So... I, w- I will say that like uh, the one per- like I've done it on two conscious patients. W- when I say conscious, I mean they were alive, but they were very unresponsive. I mean like digging my sternum into their or my hand into yeah, their yeah. sternum, and they were like no response. As soon as I flushed, they were like uh, like kind of like groaned and stuff. I'm like mm-hmm. okay, so it must be hurt pretty good. But I've started a, a shitload of IOs, and every time I start it. I draw back and I get marrow return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never not once have I not gotten marrow return. I know some guys will say like, oh, you know, sometimes you don't get it. I'm like, I have gotten it every time. Yeah. If you put it properly, you feel resistance and then you don't and then you stop. Right. So you stop pulling the trigger of the little guy yeah. and you're good. You know it's in place. It's fucking there. It's it's sturdy. It's, uh-huh. You're good. And as soon as you attach that, the, the lock, when you draw back, you see that kind of pink tinged, yeah fluid going to yellow pink cool marrow that's marrow and then you flush and you do your thing like so my my struggle is is that they're so easy i don't understand but if you look at like some like new grads that have no prior medical experience it's very daunting like it's this gun it's a drill yeah it's kind of gross and um and you know other things i've seen you don't attach like a a thousand bag or something on pressure to displace the marrow so like oh it's hard to flush maybe it's infiltrated No, no no just keep it you got and it. that's why i draw back every time just yeah. to verify and then as soon as you see that then you you fucking flush hard yeah because it does yeah there's a little pressure behind it and that's you know that's to be anticipated that's mm-hmm. that's why like um 
it's kind of funny with us as paramedics. We go so deep into like the IOs and the little tools we mm-hmm. have because so along the same point that you're making is like it's more of a team effort rather than like a pecking order because I was so nervous at first when I was starting teaching, you know, teaching ACLS and Palace. I'm like, I'm teaching nurses and doctors. Like they know so much more than me. And that's true. They have a, the breadth of their knowledge is very wide, but when it comes to emergency skills, like paramedics are specialized. It's like, yeah, we know this little bit, but we know it super well. And, you know, I understand that emergency room doctors and stuff are going to be super more, way more knowledgeable than I will ever be mm-hmm. anything like that. But when it comes to those little things like IOs, like I can talk about the experience and what it feels like and having right. done it and the the skill a lot better than a lot of ER nurses themselves. Because they just, I think I came across it all the time where they're just like, oh, you know, I've never done this before. I don't want to. I never want to. It scares me. It's just weird. It's kind of yeah. gross or all that stuff. And like, you no, know, it's so simple. Yeah. It's way easier than an IV, especially on a dead person. Like during that cardiac arrest scenario, like drilling that shit's yeah. simple. That's what I always found like watching like codes in the ER when I first started. Everyone's like, you know, they're waiting for compressions to like pump up a vein, looking for an mm-hmm. AC. I was like, let's just get the IV. They throw two tourniquets on each arm, like yeah. a tourniquet on each arm and waiting for it to pump up. And you're like, Fuck that. Yeah. Start the IO. Um, so, I mean, I, I brought up that story to you, you know, what, a few weeks ago, almost a month. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was like, oh, interesting. Like, you know, well, that's true. You don't really get exposure to it a lot in the ER. So, and then um, a few shifts ago, we had like a, in the COVID area, like a patient uh, DSAT uh, in one of the rooms. And then they, it was a negative pressure room, but it, they wanted, um, the patient in like a negative pressure room with the anti room for intubation. Mm-hmm. So she decided, became altered, and they decided to intubate. And so we had to prepare the the intubation room. Um, wasn't my assignment, but I heard the commotion, and they had enough resources. Um, but at that point, I saw the patient turn around, and I was like, "Oh, is that the one?" I was like, "Okay, cool." So I opened the door. Um, There's a bunch of people in the anti room getting pappers and stuff, and then I, I heard one of the supervisors just like, "Hey, you still need to set up the glide scope for the doc." I was like, "Cool." And I saw nobody doing nothing. And so I was like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. And uh, so I had the Glidescope plugged it in. And I was like, oh, does he want a Mac 3 or 4? And then the nurse that was in there just kind of kind of had this glassy look. Oh, uh, I mm, I don't know. You maybe should ask him. And I was like, I look at this old lady. I was like, she's probably a 3. But yeah. I mean, a 4, you know, you could always go a little longer and just not mm-hmm. advance all the way. And... So she brushed it over. Doc came in. I was like, hey, you want a three or a four on the Glidescope? He's like, oh, put a four. All right, cool. And then he was already checking his tube, you know, uh, 10 cc's, checking the cuff mm-hmm. or the balloon. And then I gave him the Bridget's dialet to use for the Glidescope. And then that was it. And I was like, okay, cool. Did it. And then he's like, hey, you need a face shield. And I was like, what? No, no, no. I'm not part of this. I was just setting up your Glidescope and I walked out. And then, like, a few hours later in the break room, heard the same thing. Like, dude, like, we need to learn how to set up those Glidescopes. Like, we don't know. Oh, what. man. And then. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, same thing. Just overheard it. But I was like, I'm still pretty new. don't know these people. Mm-hmm. You know, just whatever. I don't know these people. No, no. Like, <laughs> no, you know, never... enough to like interject in the break room. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's. Sure. Um, but anyways, I, I um, was able to make conversation with that nursing. I was like, oh, so any questions about the Glidescope? You know, like, did you want to know anything? And he's all like, oh, it's just that, you know. And the two of them also came from a trauma center prior to uh, working at this ER and mm-hmm. 
they were just like no because it's like the emts always like set it up and stuff like that you know and i was like okay so like you know like a well-oiled uh, you know a really good team or well well-oiled machine they just don't have to worry about setting that up it'll always be set up for them and yeah but it just made me think it was like it, it and it dawned on me like the io thing and the innovation thing that's just stuff that we know as medics yeah right like a nurse you're never going to innovate you may depending on what kind of autonomy you're allowed at your certain facility you might not know how to do an io and so then I just thought about maybe we should just talk about some of our ALS skills. Yeah. No. Okay. I. I, I in totally, the next episode, but I totally that was the PSA. That. Yeah, I think we, and we we talked about it before, and um, we're definitely gonna do a episode on innovation and IO just so people can get exposure to it. And and I'm sure there's gonna be some things that even some paramedics might not have heard or learned or something. Yeah. Do you remember Malampati, dude? That just shows up yeah, on some right? of like. Some of our moderate sedation like paperwork, and I was like, "Oh man, I just I don't remember it." Like I had to look at it, but I, I don't remember it. Like can't recite it anymore. So if if I recall correctly, uh, the lower number, the better. It's one to four. The lower the number, the better the view, and four is the worst. Because um, I I remember we we all checked on each other. And yeah. I had like a a really good malampati scale because like <laughs> you could see my tonsils. I can just hold up my tongue i don't know it was weird i, I have a good melon potty scale yeah but even and I then some like, other people like it's just all nothing but tongue you're like Oosh, yeah shitty view but then i just realized that that'd be probably good to know like if you're assisting an in innovation you can anticipate the difficult so what i was gonna say so. is that it's kind of like um like the business world that you know dress for the job you want and it, like you should understand the skills and how to set things up or at least um assist yeah with things above your role. You know, like that's why we expect our EMTs to be able to set up things that we anticipate giving, mm-hmm. right? They, they should set, be able to set up our IV stuff and bleed a bag and all these things that are kind of out of their scope, but they should be able to prepare it for us, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a nurse should be able to prepare these things that a doctor can perform. They should know how it works. Just the basics. They don't need to do it themselves, but they should know how it works and how to set it up. You know right. I mean? yeah. Or at least what it looks like. Yeah, because I feel like some facilities like this is the innovation tray. Okay, what's in it? No, the box. Oh, it's it's it's, it's tagged. It it, everything should be in there. So whatever you're gonna need is in there. It's like like, that tackle box. What's in there? Okay, (laughs) uh, should we check this or should I know what's in it? No, it's the same thing for like uh, when you're you're a new firefighter. Like you need to go through your engine. Not only do you know where everything is, you need to know what they do and how to work them and all that stuff. So it's just kind of like I I understand that when you get comfortable in a position and you kind of have a role and you kind of stick to it. That's understandable. You need to go outside your comfort level a little bit. And you, you need to be willing to learn when you don't know something. And sometimes we, it gets thrown in our face and we're like, fuck, I, I hate feeling inept in something, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into those topics. I think they'll be good. Yeah. Good sweet. refreshers from my, for myself too. Like melon potty. I think I'm gonna pull that out of my ass. I don't even know if it's right. <laughs> It might be the complete opposite. It might be vice versa, but I mean, the gist of it was, we'll clarify it on the episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool, man. Anything else you want to talk about here with your your week? No, that was my week. Second wave's coming. Yeah, besides that, I had a, a guy complain of ball pain or scrotum pain, and he was like covered in mites and stuff. It was, the, it was so gross. I was like gagging during the call. Like uh, he was sitting on, so he had like open sores all over his body, and uh, so a homeless guy, unfortunately. But he was just like, uh, I don't know what his, he was reacting to, but he said he was like, he was reacting to a detox of alcohol, but his like skin was like, like, ugh, it was nasty. Just 
pussy wounds the all over. The skin was the reaction, or he's arms like and legs and chest. Yeah, it was nasty. But he said he had like a uh, uh, open wound on his scrotum, or like a uh, gooch perineum his perineum Perineum. for like a month (laughs) and like it was uh it was causing like infection down his legs Uh. and he had like so i I, we we wrapped him up like a chipotle burrito just a yeah yeah. contained you know and we had to bring his wheelchair of course and his like two you know blood pus soaked sleeping bags we Mm -hmm. like threw everything into uh we laid out a white sheet threw all the stuff on it and like tied it up like a spindle of like a you know, like a hobo <laughs> like tied it up all tight oh like on the stick uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and uh and when I, I you know put the my ipad on the back when i'm doing well i was assessing him and stuff and go to grab it and start punching in some stuff and i see like a couple tiny mites crawling oh. around the screen i was like oh i was like i'm not gonna touch anything i just want to decon everything before i do anything it was oh so grossed out so like blood poo you know, I'm not a big fan of vomit, but I can deal with it. Bugs. Yeah. Like scabies and stuff. I will be itching and grossed yeah. out all day. I can't. I, that is my thing. I can't deal with. Yeah. Like, that's terrible. <sighs> yeah. It was gross. So, Damn. yeah. But okay. Anyway, boy, besides that downers. Downers. Uh, so I focus on like four major downers because there's a, there's a lot obviously, but I think the four most prevalent or definitely alcohol. Mm-hmm. I definitely said opiates, um, benzos, and then for my area, GHB is oh, a big yeah. one. But I also I threw in like rohypnol because those are like considered the date rape drugs. Did you like focus on any others? No, no. What or your your ones you focus on? Uh, Booze and opiates, <laughs> heroin. But like you don't. I don't think you see that. I think meth is more prevalent here. I don't see that much heroin. Oh really? Or people that oh admit maybe to it. your area? That's actually surprising, even in your area. Cause I my remember... area is definitely is meth. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe when I was a new grad, maybe that area had more heroin. But when I moved more east of the county, it, it's uh, mostly meth. When I worked for AMR in that county, we were like it was heroin was huge. Like I ran six heroin overdoses in really? one day. One day huh <clears throat> and i had to got i got to the point where i was like hey there's some bad stuff going around be careful it was like the i think it was the start of the fentanyl stuff mm-hmm. but yeah like just dropping like flies these these addicts this is a demographic you think i don't know like we get a and, and now in my current city we get meth for sure yeah and it's usually utilized as like a party drug mm. you know just to keep the party going but we see a lot of heroin too a lot of heroin so that we yeah we have that a lot of heroin and opiates. So we have like a pretty prevalent homeless population. Uh, yeah. So I think my specialty was last episode. But like I, like I see a lot of, especially in the ER, I just see a lot of like a opioid pain seekers, chronic chronic pain, drug seeking yeah, behavior. Yeah. So I guess that's a, probably so. the perfect place to start is opiates and heroin. Yeah. So just like uh, there's a common thread between all of our stimulants, there's a common thread between all of our CNS depressants, right? We see bradypnea, bradycardia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, one of the ones that I keep, I forgot about was uh, hypothermia, and that happens super frequently with our CNS depressants. Oh, yeah. Just and you, you know, you definitely get that, especially with your like your um, you know, your, like your opiate overdoses where you touch them and they're real cool, clammy, mm-hmm. sweaty. You know, ataxia, drowsiness. 
Um, but there is kind of a unique, I think, um, symptom or sign for, for each of them. So opiates in particular, that's when you're going to get those like constricted pupils. Yeah. You know, that's one of those real obvious signs. And then you want to check track marks and paraphernalia and stuff. Now there's been more than one occasion where I've showed up and there is still the needle in the person's arm, you know? Dang. When did you have that one in a internship? Was that the one in 7-Eleven subway bathroom? I think your preceptor was like, you can't be too nice here. And just oh, started yelling or no. Yeah. There's a, it was a gang member at his house and, uh, I walk in and you know, he's, he's out, he has con- constricted pupils. He's bringing like one or two mm-hmm. times a minute, super sweaty. I was like, okay. So I shoot, shoot him up with some Narcan and, uh, and he wakes up and I was like, Oh, hi, sir. My name's Josiah. I'm a paramedic. You know, unfortunately you did, you know, we, I think you overdosed. And he was like, no, no, I didn't do anything. I was like, well, we, you know, I kind of gave him yeah, a talk. Yeah, yeah. And I was like still being very nice and stuff. And then, you know, my preceptor was a little more rough and tumble, especially in that area. And it was like, a, hey, you fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of stepped back like, and oh. I let him do his thing and yelled at the guy. But yeah, that was a, that was a different world yeah. than what I was used to. So, so. I've had a lot. A lot of heroin overdoses or opiate overdoses, at least, especially in my current city. Like it ha- happens all the time, especially with that M83 or whatever the fuck it's called. I wonder if it's your area. I don't, I'm trying to think because I don't get to get assigned to like Psych Alley at my current place, which is normally yeah. where that kind of stuff goes. Yeah, I'm um, sure. But at my per diem, it's, yeah, like two Percocets and a lot of alcohol and then mm-hmm. meth. But I mean, that's not the episode today. But like, yeah, yeah this last guy, dude, he's, uh, they said that uh, he took his brother's Percocet. And I mean, his, his talks came back negative for everything else than what he admitted to. But I was like, you know, there's other stuff that doesn't screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but dude, he came in pale as a ghost, clammy, like could only say like two words and he'll fall asleep and he'll desat to like 90%. And then you just have to like kick him or kick the bed. Yeah. Like, hey, sir, wake up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. Like, so that that's a... Uh... One of those and and you, cold, just like, dude, you couldn't, you couldn't give that guy enough blankets. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's one of those things what you see with like uh, heroin and opiates. So I have a lot of uh, like personal experience with them just from like my high school had such a problem with OxyContin. It was crazy. Like there were so many kids, like friends that were on, like doing OxyContin on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was It was nuts. But you you would see it. So like I my, told you, my brother had like a pretty bad drug problem for like several years, like mm-hmm. ten years, and uh, he's finally clean. He's doing well. But you know, you would see these people, and they'd be like having conversations with you, and all of a sudden, they like eyes would kind of get drowsy, and they'd fall asleep, and then they like they'd still be in the same position, like arms up kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like they look like they're sleeping, but still in, in movement. It's it was the most bizarre thing. And like as soon as I see that. You know, it's like, okay, that person's yeah. here. And like, you'll see them, like homeless people sometimes like walking and all of a sudden they'll like, eyes will close and they'll stay standing. You know, they're just high as shit, <laughs> but like they'll stay like in a certain movement or position and like, okay, that person's high as fuck on heroin. Damn. Yeah. So I, yeah, the, the abuse of opiates is, is so prevalent now. You know, you see with even like little high school kids, like I remember there was kids in my high school who were starting at like 16. Like fifteen, sixteen, really popping oxycontin, and I guess or kind of that gets to get into the how it's uh, taken. So you can take it as a pill. Snort. There's a lot of kids that are snorting it. Yeah. Um, 
what was the thing they did? So they'd crush it up mm-hmm. and put it into like a like a tissue or like a, a toilet paper, and then roll it up and then went and swallow it. And so like once that tissue paper breaks down, all of it's released. What the so heck? So all at I've once it hits one. you really hard. I think it was called like parachuting or something. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, snort it. Uh, I've never heard of anybody smoking oxycontin or Percocets or Vicodin or any of that shit, but. Um, a lot of people who, who are doing like, I guess the less strong opiates were drinking with it. So like if you're doing Vicodin or Percocets or something, you're usually drinking a little bit with it. Um, and that was one of the biggest things I saw where like, if you want to die of an overdose from downers or CNS depressants, yeah, mix, it's it like, mix it with alcohol or some other depressant, you know? Yeah. Um, then heroin, obviously you smoke it, snort it, shoot it. Yeah. So... You don't ask, um, what's your preferred route of uh, Narcan administration? I think initially IN is the easiest just to kind of get their respiratory mm-hmm. rate back to, uh, you know, a little higher than it is. Because, like, when we walk in, it'll be, like, one to two a minute. So I'll walk <laughs> I'm a little liberal with my Narcan administration, probably more <laughs> so than I should be, more than my documentation shows. Um so uh, give the nurse dose that's fine yeah yeah so i walk and i'll give i'll give a whole vial initially so i'll, I'll do one ml in uh one nostril and one ml in the other so a total of two it's milligrams. two and two it's two milligrams and two mls right the preloads right. okay yeah so i give one milligram in one nostril one milligram in the mm-hmm. other nostril and then they'll cut the respiratory rate will usually increase but the augmentation is still shitty so by then we'll, we're bagging for them We'll start an IV and then I'll give like another 0.5 to one and that will usually kick them out of it. But then like there's some people with the fentanyl and stuff that are taking, you know, Oh yeah. Three or four boxes. So that's, you know, six to eight milligrams. That's crazy. So, um, yeah, no. So when I was still in the field, I think IN was the, the, uh, what do you call it? Route of choice. INs are my route of choice. It's the easier route. Mm-hmm. But for sure, the most effective route is IV. So, like, there'll be some times when, like, it'll take a few minutes for it to kick in with the IN. But when you give an IV, they they perk up. Yeah. Like, right away. How many of those patients they gave IV experience, like, nausea right after? A few. Okay. Not a ton. Because that Percocet dude that took his brother's um, Percocet. So, like, I was telling the doc, I was like, okay, so he's arousable. But as soon as he falls asleep, he desats. I was like, we should probably give him a little bump, you know? So I got the order. It was like it was like point four or something, and we don't have preloads in the ER. They're vials. Like if oh, you yeah. wanted a full two milligrams, you're going to draw up like six mLs. Oh, like there's there these weird vials. So I was like, okay. And um, I was uh, resourcing, so I was helping a nurse, and she was a new guy. She's like, I never gave Narcan before. I was like, oh, you got to give it slow. You got to give it over like a minute or so, dude. I did all that, and this guy yacked for like the next forty five minutes, and I was like, oh damn, I feel so bad, dude. We we maxed out on Zofran. We had to give him like Reglan, and I was really? like, yeah. So I was like it was a low dose like 0.4 wow i pushed it slow and i was like dude this guy's still yacked and i was like i feel bad i was like but yeah so i probably I, should get the zofran first but i was like i wanted this guy to people perk who do, up who do like experience that nausea and vomiting but like i and usually from from in my experience it's usually like an initial episode of like vomiting and then they're pretty much okay like if they don't they don't vomit multiple times like yeah the i'd say like 30 percent of my overdoses that we bring back will throw up but it's like one time during transport and then there's yeah no this guy the pay the doctors and stuff when we get on 
get to the hospital. It was like a 45 minute ordeal. Sounds like a real pussy. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. What else did I learn about heroin? Oh, I didn't write anything down for heroin or opiates because I was like, I know enough about this shit. <laughs> um, treatment. Narcan, obviously, is the, the main treatment. We can give an IV, IN. IN is the easier route. Uh, something with the, the atomizers that I've noticed is that when you push the it slow, like if you're just kind of like... Oh, it doesn't atomize? Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. atomize as well. You know, I and mean, that's when you see the, it drip down their yeah, nostril. Yeah. Like you really have to like push it real hard and fast. Uh, to actually get it to mist well yeah so I, you know when i first started out i'd like it, it was i was almost like pushing it like an iv push medication when I push it kind of slow you got it you can't do that you have to like push it hard and fast um to actually get it to mist well yeah the yeah. other one was uh after that you just kind of close that nostril like pinch it off i would for always a couple seconds too. Yeah, yeah i'd always close their nostril and they're like oh this tastes like shit and you're like oh you know just deal with it dude my, um, my heroin notes kind of suck too all i have is because we see you so much. I know. You know. It's called Atrus Smack. And then I, I highlighted <laughs> 1970s. I don't know why. Injected, higher purity, can be snorted. But that's it. Yeah. Is heroin the one where you get that rush the first time and then everyone's chasing Chasing it? the dragon. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where it came from. So I guess uh, if, if you ever were to validate what we were saying about the atomizer, put on a, a saline flush and try it for yourself. And, you know, not wasting too much, you know, supply of your, your current employer. <laughs> um and then just try try pushing it slow and see how it kind of drizzles out compared to when you push it hard. Yeah. You know, it kind of give you a little visualization of what we're talking about. Yeah. Other than that, you know, just be alert to what people will uh, will try. And, you know, it's not just heroin. It's also Oxycontin, Percocets, Vicodin. I think those are the main ones. Yeah. Um, a lot of these addicts, in my experience, like, there's been a couple of times where I've gone to like teenagers' houses when they're parents told them hey you're going to rehab tomorrow and all of a sudden they try to do their last bit Ugh. and or you know push off one more time and then they overdose uh or addicts who are relapsing so they've been clean for a little while and then come back and try to do their previous dose that they're accustomed to and then they overdose that way so just be cognizant of that uh, and also all the shit that's cut with fentanyl now that's an opiate that yeah. is super dangerous benzos yes. So the the benzos I saw that were most uh, frequently abused, the old as kids would say, Zanny bars or Xanax. Did you not know what Zanny bar was? No. Really? No. Oh. Was, you don't listen to enough good... hip hop. Well, no, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know what they're. <laughs> so just... Xanax, um, uh, Valium I saw was abused a lot, and then uh, Clonopin was the other benzo that I saw was abused a lot. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So obviously the other two are anti-anxiety, but mm-hmm. then Clonopin's uh, a anti-seizure med. You, so yeah, even in my high school, people like kids had Z- access to Xanax and Valium on a regular basis. Like it would, it was not hard to get these these drugs at my high school, which is crazy to me. Really, Damn. like looking back in retrospect, like thinking of like fifteen-year-olds like popping drugs like this, it's just so insane to me. But. Yeah. Someone knew someone that was prescribed it yeah. in the household. And- you know, just parents. You know, the parents just leave their old meds out. So, see, the the dangerous combo for benzos, the mix of with, with another depressant. Like, So, that's what like Keith Ledger died off of was the mix of benzos and... Was it his sleep? Um, opiates. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, he, he popped some... Uh, well, he was on like six different drugs. But he popped ben- well, <laughs> like multiple benzos and multiple opiates, and that's what he overdosed from. So he didn't actually kill himself. He tried to, he accidentally overdosed. Dang. You can talk about your GHB and stuff like that. 
Oh, well, well we haven't talked about uh, um, the treatment for benzos. Oh, yeah. Oof. Flumazenil. That's right. There's a lot of caveats with flumazenil. <laughs> I forget the other name for it. Uh, Ramazicon? Yeah, Ramazicon. So Ramazicon, uh, it's our antidote. It's the Narcan of benzos. Um, the big problem with flumazenil, so the one of the stats that I read was that uh, one study showed that only 10% of benzo overdoses were candidates for, for uh, flumazenil. So only 10%. And 10%. it's because there's so many contraindications and it has such a narrow therapeutic index that it's just one of those medications you, huh. a lot of people will just stay away from unless it's like your perfect candidate. You know what's weird? I've never had to hang that. It's it's created the protocol for any overdose. It's just immediately called the poison control in the ER. Oh, really? And they never, not once, even on my two Percocet overdoses, they're like, just monitor. Yeah, so yeah. that's what... That's what why, I, I don't know if they... It's, they rec- Maybe it's a, what do you call it? It's not first line. It doesn't seem like it's first line. It's like... Yeah, yeah. So that's usually what in like... Fluids They said and unless monitor. they're completely unresponsive and it like requires the antidote. Most of the CNS depressants were just monitor and stabilize, just monitor vital signs. Um, a lot of them were like, put them in a recovery position in case they vomit like yeah yeah you know basic stuff or just monitor vent or respiratory rate and symptoms and then let them be yeah yeah so that was one of the things like for the contraindications there was like if they're long-term benzo users if they have history of seizures so like usually that will be how they get the benzos in the first place like there was a bunch of caveats and contraindications where like no wonder nobody ever used it i've only heard it called for once in, uh, yeah, in I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, long term user. We we suspect all these people are long term yeah, users. Yeah, right. So. Like nobody just like, oh, I'm gonna try benzos tonight. Yeah, we just try Xanax for one time only. <laughs> okay, the most frequently combined drug with anything else, and the most prominent, you know, depressant is gonna be alcohol. And thank God for alcohol. Oh, cheers. We're drinking. They did that last time. Um, Took the biggest swig of whiskey when you said alcohol. <laughs> so that's going to be one of the most frequently ones we've seen. And uh, I had a good call. It was a while back at this point, but we get there and this guy is, he's passed out in the passenger side of his mom's car. Mm-hmm. So apparently old Madre went through a drive through with her son. He's an adult man. He's like 40 years old yeah. and went through a drive through they started eating their burgers and then she got home and he was like passed out. And so she got out of the car, went inside and just left him. And then like an hour or two later, yeah, like an hour or two later, she was like, Oh, she's still sitting in the car. Knock, knock, knock. I can't wake him up. So we get there and this guy's just fucking passed out. I thought he was dead Yeah, in the car. And, uh, you know, I'm checking, he has a pulse, he has respiratory rate, but he's just like labored. Sounds like shit. check people's they're perfect i was like fuck okay so maybe not over uh, opiate we still tried a little narcan just to see and nothing was working on this guy this guy was fucking out cold <laughs> and i was like oh does he drink or anything like what kind of medical history and mom's like fucking oblivious but you know we open his mouth and all of a sudden he just reeks of booze like, okay. okay that okay and like and like we we're saying each each of these depressants has their own little telltale sign you can s- smell the etoh on it like a severely yeah inebriated patient pretty obvious you know even with my mask my my n95 i can still smell it so we finally get this guy on the gurney and uh i go to bag and there's this like 
a giant food bolus in his mouth. And I'm like, what is that? So I go in with like some McGill's and it's just like, I'm pulling out chunks and chunks of cheeseburger that was stuck to his roof of his mouth and in the back of his throat. So he he passed out before he swallowed his food? Yeah. Oh, geez. It was so gross. I was like gagging, just like pulling these chunks of cheeseburger and throwing into the trash. Um, And kind of, I was kind of getting brought it up because of your intubation stuff. When I had my McGill's in there with my learn scope, yeah, yeah. I had like a beautiful view of the vocal cords. And I was like, oh, this guy's fucking out cold. Like maybe I should tube him. So once I get all the burger out, I set up my uh, my intubation stuff. Mm-hmm. Granted, we're like, I was rushed in the back and it's never a good idea to try to rush an intubation. So I went in and we're like pulling into the, the, the fucking at bay at the time. So I went in the, with the Lorenzo scope and I just couldn't get a good view after the initial one. Oh, you know, and, and it's one of those things like when you're intubating and you get a good view, don't ever lose sight of it. Hold it where yeah. it is, you know, and then ask for somebody else to set up your tube if you can and, and, and get it in there. Because sometimes if, once you lose it, you're never going to get it again. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I just let it go and we kept bagging him, but this guy was fucking alcohol. We took the OPA like a champ, like it was nothing. <laughs> you know, this guy was just, he was toast. They ended up tubing him as soon as we got in there. They tubed him? Yeah. Was that bad? Yeah. Dang. We've had some pretty bad ones at my previous job, but I guess not that bad. We, I don't know if it was a resource thing cause it was a smaller hospital, um, to devote a resource to an intubated alcohol patient, but they did well with NPAs. Oh, yeah. We just did NPAs and set them up in like a almost high Fowler position. And that's hmm. it. Let them ride it out. There, I've had three or four severely intoxicated ETOH patients who've gotten intubated as soon as we get to the ER. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen like, um, uh, what do you call it? Where I did my new grad. That They do that a lot. They'd intubate. I think one of the newer doctors fresh out of residency, she did it in like Chicago. She'd do it all the time. Like college kids would come in and like no gag. And like, dude, we have to protect their airway. So they'd yeah. be intubated. And then, you know, they, once they sober up, they'd wake up or, you know, they're fucking on a vent. Mm-hmm. So Foley calf and on a vent. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a bad way to wake up. Dude, I think one of my buddies was proving a point that someone came in like ETOH, like BLS. And he's like, He's stable, yeah. He can protect his gag reflex. I think he's, he's like, look, check this out. He like takes his pen, shoves it all the way back, and like just like wiggles it around like a, oh like a lunch bell. He's like, dude, this guy has no gag. This guy's not stable. <laughs> like, oh, <this laughs> that's one way to test it. Yeah, yeah. And then I like, pen is garbage now. Uh, yeah. Um. So our ranges for like, uh, I was looking at all the different ranges and like the symptoms that are associated with the different blood alcohol contents. And they're all pretty like, you know, what you typically think of as a bar mm-hmm. until up until like 0.30. After like they were saying the 0.30 to 0.39, that's like the blackout stage. That's the more dangerous stage. And hmm. then anything over 0.40, that's like this person might die phase. For blood alcohol level? Yeah. Interesting. Is that like you guys measure it differently. It's more the, um, we we use the point system or... Because I've seen some people have whole numbers, but we're using the the decimal stuff. I oh, don't know yeah. how their skill set up, but dude, I've seen some like regular drunks like dude, they're walking around in fast track with like a point four, <laughs> just yeah, like catcalling yeah. the nurses and. So like I told you about the yeah. that one one regular that we have that we go on on a regular basis yeah. where the doctors buy pizza if it's over point four or five or something. Oh, oh yeah. and she's regularly over it. But like for normal people, they say if you're over point four zero, like you're in the dangerous, like you could die. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
I think so, 0.5 were some of the gentlemen that were on the NPAs. And they were, dude, they were soaping up forever. I forget how it, it drops. Dude, someone told me the numbers and I'm just going to butcher it. But like there's per hour, it drops a certain amount of points. So, oh, really? Yeah. Your liver detoxifies eight grams of alcohol every hour. Hmm. And I think that, that it, it equates to 0.08. Yeah, so they were like, me on that, so I'm pretty positive. So we That'd were doing the math, like, dude, they're going to be here the whole shift. Oh, Jesus. So. Yeah, well, you like thinking if they're at 0.45, it's going to be five, six hours, yeah. five and a half hours. So you know the way around that? Don't order it. <laughs> I remember one of the PAs was like, you do, you, do you want a, a blood? He's like, no, because then I'll have to actually treat the number. Yeah. But I was like, dude, if he's ambulatory and alert oriented, dude, we fucking send that guy back out to <laughs> his original it. living situation. Yeah. yeah. Right. I thought another thing I thought that was interesting was that uh, I think 30% they said of the deaths and injuries from alcohol are caused by like accidents. So when the leading cause of deaths for people who are drunk is drowning. Oh, really? Yeah. So with the, the summer, the the weather starting to heat up and people start going around pools and stuff like that's uh, something Damn. that we're going to be seeing more often is that those drunk kids and stuff who go for swimming and dive in or do backflips or do some stupid shit and end up drowning. But yeah, Man. 30% of the, the deaths. And then I think 14% of the injuries were caused by intentional injuries. <laughs> so so just be aware that 30% of the deaths. Actually, dude, by. I actually, yeah. Well, one, I was going to say, I was like, I wonder what Havasu is like then. But. Gnarly, of course. Well, yeah. I was just. I, I think know. people, I think people drown, like multiple people drown every year. There? And get chopped up by propellers and shit. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But you're right about the... I remember uh, one of my buddies ran a trauma continuation from... Oh, I can't even say the city. Anyways, um, <laughs> south of here. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, an affluent city out, out south of here that may have a TV show that was once named after it. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I guess it was like a husband and wife. You know, they, they had a lot of bottles of wine. And she slipped off just the deck for next to their boat hit her head and went like under and dude, they couldn't find her forever. And like the guy, I think the husband was too drunk to like fucking call 911. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, I don't think she made it, but I wouldn't imagine. Well, I mean like, I, I think she, they, it was like prolonged downtime. They were working her and then they had to take her from the, the, be- the beach city yeah. up to the trauma center. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, it was just wine slipped on the, the yeah, deck. Happens, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh shit. Sorry lady. You just became a statistic. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's funny those stuff that I should have written down there, and then like just a story would trigger it. Be like, oh yeah, there's a cool. Yeah, like uh, I've had more than one occasion where somebody got drunk and like punched through glass, and they cut oh, their yeah. arms. I think me and Mike talked about that once, where he was like, oh, you know, in Vegas where he worked, like mm-hmm. it was just you'd always see the bro who punched through a window or something, and he'd cut his arm. Dude, I didn't have it, but I I would hear that on the radio sometimes. They'd be going to you know umc and oh, you, you hear fuck. it yeah. i went once went to a call and i was so confused as to what was happening because it was chaos in front of this house so apparently there was a group of guys who rented a airbnb for like a bachelor party and they like got a bunch of strippers to come from like they came from pretty far mm-hmm. well these guys got hammered and just destroyed this house i mean destroyed it i mean there was i walk in the front door and there was like kitchen appliances and um, whoa pots and pans scattered all over the house there was a a ping pong table that was 
one of the legs was broken. It was, there was just shit everywhere, broken and all the stuff. And our patient was the, uh, one of the strippers who punched the guy, one, one of the bachelor, like the attendees, yeah. and then punched through their car window and cut her off. What the? <laughs> because they wouldn't pay her. Oh. It, I don't know what the circumstance was, but like, and then, you know, I'm, I'm assessing this patient. She doesn't want to go. She's telling me to fuck off. And I patched her up, had her sign AMA. And I walk outside and there's like some of the bachelor guys who are like trying to fight the cops and one's getting tased. I'm like, this is the most chaotic <laughs> I've ever been to because there's like 15 of these people who are all going crazy and just yeah. fucking throwing shit and breaking stuff. And like as I walk in, because there was like knives and because it was like, um, you know, like the knife holder that has these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the ground and then there was just knives everywhere. I'm like, can I get a PD escort to go to the patient? Because I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Oh, it was so sketchy. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Nice. I was like, oh, uh, what's your what's going on here? And she like told me the story. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I was like, all right. I think I see that just triggered another like call. Like, so when I was in the field, there was one for a laceration, but then we were told to stage away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't remember where we were relative to fire, but fire broke the stage away and you see them like there was a dip and you see the engine just hit the dip and get a little airborne and then like the the medic sitting behind the uh captain's chair right he's just like waving us in and i was like what the what the fuck they just Hmm. and so we go and we're like hey fire's going in we're we're not staging anymore and then like it was an apartment complex and i dude it was so long ago and it was so much chaos but like the version that i was told and i just committed to memory was like it was like a house party and this guy Mm -hmm. punched out a window on the second floor of an apartment and then when we showed up there was like people on the roof of the apartment and there's people on the roof of the carport but then our patient was in the middle of the road um and he looked like uh maybe an arterial bleed he had like a whole lack across his like forearm and i think that because we were in the middle of the txa trials they just it was like a 19 year old kids and he was a candidate for TXA. So I think they just wanted to go in and I mean, the, the bleeding was actually controlled. I think it was hypotensive. We gave the TXA and some fluids and then his BP stable stabilized by the time mm-hmm. we got to the trauma center. But I don't know if they got any additional information, but I just remember like, dude, I, I could have sworn I saw that engine get airborne and we go in <laughs> and it's like chaos. There's like people in the streets surrounding the patient. There's people like standing on the carport Drinking and partying and-, and on the roof of this apartment. Uh, next to this yeah i was like what the fuck is going on those are the weirdest calls when like it's not just you and the patient you know yeah or even a couple family members but like this fucking chaotic scene like i remember when i was going through preceptorship i we had like a it was a arm fracture but on like a football field and there was like it was the middle of a friday night football game and there's like a whole audience on both sides Mm -hmm. i was like i'm brand new i don't want to fuck this up i was like so nervous but yeah those calls are weird dude what's worse than that is have you ever been on cops no have so, you well i was filmed but i don't think it made a cut because if she this patient just got slapped like it was a good it was interesting for tv but yeah i was doing my fto time in vegas like oh man i wish mike was here but yeah so apparently like you know they they regularly shoot in vegas and we sh- we show up to this like el pollo loco and and like pd's there they called for you know like medical clearance and i was mm-hmm. like why is there a camera and then my fto turns to me with this huge grin it's like dude you're gonna be on cops i was like shut up what is that it's like yeah that's cops and dude it was so terrible because like i immediately like i i went from like a medic during field training to like fucking emt student like i couldn't nut up immediately every i hi what is yeah every other word i i I catch myself glancing at the camera and i was like and it was a bs call like this (laughs) yeah yeah just like that i was like this is awkward this is not going well 
but if there was nothing like they like he's like you need to do a full assessment one i was training and he wanted to see me do a full assessment i was like dude do full assessment on what her mascara got smeared yeah right. and then there's a camera and i was like this is this is really awkward <laughs> yeah so that was that oh that, but that same feeling i was yeah. like what the uh so are you okay okay let me just palpate i don't, I, I don't know what i'm about <laughs> what do i do with my hands <laughs> oh god i've never yeah luckily i've never been recorded like that but i feel like it's a matter of time oh well no not in this climate that show probably got pulled yeah that got pulled. Got same canceled. with live pd Ugh. but um i think they used to shoot in your area though right i think one of the local departments i think I oh yeah saw on... yeah i think you know you're talking about we never had to deal with it thank goodness <laughs> uh and then i guess uh well i we never even said what cns depressants how they work Ugh. Okay, I won't go too in in depth then, but just oh, know like, that know. they are GABA. Uh, exactly. So <laughs> That's all. It was like something. They increase yeah. GABA. I remember we had it recited when we were supposed to say it crosses the blood brain barrier a long time ago. I don't even remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, GHB for hypnol. My favorite part. I want you to tell me so many more stories about. Uh, dude, no, I, I was telling some like co-workers like when i the next day when i went to work i was like oh man you gotta wait for this episode like you gotta hear about what ghb no like the calls you run in that one place oh i said keep the stories and just bleep out the, the boys name. club yeah the oh, resort so, so i've the... had so okay this was this was before my time but apparently ghb is a very common party drug and it's common because it increases your libido it makes you super horny apparently hmm at a certain dose. So like the party dose is 0.5 to 3 grams. Anything over that, that's the date rapey shit. <laughs> that's when you're trying to like take advantage of a girl. Like if you yeah, thought about it, I was super like, don't, don't say the dose. Now someone's going to like actually try to, all right, let's do this. <laughs> all right, we'll do it. Uh, all right, now I know. So, so what I was reading, I was like, uh, um, they'll just give like a shitload to people. Mm-hmm. Like like the creepy dudes who've, who've ugh, yeah. Rape. The way they use like Rohypnol and GHB is they give a shitload. Like they just give way too much. I I think they worry less about the overdoses if you're just consuming that. <clears throat> but so GHB is very common in like the party scene in the LGBTQ community as far as what I've been exposed to. So, <laughs> okay. So apparently, this happened before my time, but I was told this story that there was a gentleman who had an overdose they had a bag and you know he was mm-hmm. respiratorily depressed all this stuff they brought him to the hospital and he was found at this boys club well he had been like sexually assaulted like all night by, like, <laughs> multiple Shit. people and he woke up the next day asking like where am i what happened where's my wife <laughs> what? so he wasn't even like oh allegedly man. wasn't even like a gay guy he just was GHB, he, he was drugged at a bar and then brought to this other club resort. Yeah. And then just ran through oh by God. like everybody. So, yeesh. Dude, that's terrible. Pretty gnarly. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, you have a cocktail once and all of a sudden you wake up in the hospital and. My butt hurts. Your butt hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my wife? That's terrible. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, yeah, so we we see it a lot. It's it's always mixed with other drugs. Like it'll be like GHB and meth, GHB and ecstasy, um, but they they use it a lot. And, and we've gone on multiple overdoses. It usually will lead to them becoming respiratory depressed, and we'll have to go in there and bag them, and mm-hmm. they'll finally wake up with a, a lot of painful stimulus. 
but then they get groggy again. So it's supposed to be one of those managing airway situations. So yeah, they're saying so. Oh, GHB. Yeah, gamma hydroxybutyrate is GHB. Um, I put it in the same class as rohypnol because it mm-hmm. it can be used for the same thing as far as like drugging people, but the GHB is more common in partying because it makes you horny. Hmm. It lowers your inhibitions. Yeah, okay. it lowers your inhibitions. Like, what, what are you and, for? Yeah, it lowers your inhibitions and increases your libido. So you just want to fuck everything. Apparently, wish my wife. i've been giving kirsten a little bit every night (laughs) um but yeah they 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 talked about a lot about the uh, big risk of apnea with ghb especially when it's taken in combination like heroin so apparently like rohypnol and ghb are taken alongside with like things like heroin because it people think it's going to increase your high or people who will take uh both either one of those because they're on something like meth, coke, crack. To come back down. To come back down, yeah. So you see it, it coincides with a lot of other drug use, the GHB and rohypnol. So, yeah, so that's something to be aware of, I guess. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it. So that's, I think, unique to your area. I've seen the GHB a lot, less of rohypnol. But that's... Do you think it's going to be more prevalent ones. now? Summer, warmer weather? and Actually, Partying I don't know because... Of, well, everything's open now, so... Yeah, more things are starting to open up. So I'm sure we're going to start seeing it more, especially because we kind of have like a party scene in near our city, around and near our city. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going to start getting a lot more of those calls very soon. <laughs> <clears throat> That'll be good, more better stories. Oh, yeah. There'll be plenty. <laughs> nice. Once that resort opens up. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm down there, we also have a. We have a big casino getting ready to open up in our city. It's being oh, yeah. built right now. But once that opens, they're, they're talking about making a hotel across the street, and it's going to be... The casino doesn't have a hotel? Or they, that, not that, yet. It's a, okay. It's, gonna, it's like a satellite. Uh, so it's like a lot of couple tables, but mostly like uh, Slots. slot machines and stuff. But it's supposed to be a big boom for the city, so we'll see how it goes. Nice. Yeah. Any uh, last things to say about... uh? depressants or downers and popping perkies so. and doing zanny bars no nope. <laughs> cool man wouldn't have a thing um so i guess in conclusion of our drug episodes we're gonna do a little review of oh the movie the movie requiem for a dream yeah the ultimate i don't you don't want to do drugs after watching this movie movie no, I didn't want to sleep after watching this movie. It left a really unsettling feeling in my stomach. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> listen in next episode, and we'll kind of get into some of these uh, movies that dictate how these drugs may affect your life. Yep. And we'll start off with Raccoon for a Dream. So uh, cool. Thanks for joining us for another episode. See ya. All right. Thank you for listening to Holding the Wall. Like us at YouTube, Instagram, or iTunes. Feel free to contact us at holdingthewall at gmail.com or DM us at Instagram at holdingthewall. Thank you to our sponsors and support us on Patreon for extra content. Hope to see you soon. Toodaloo, motherfuckers.